Well, let me add my good morning. Welcome to Christ Church. I want to greet all of you over at Crossroads and at Highland Park. Uh, here in the Lake Forest Sanctuary, I want to welcome the 01 service. We're combining these services for the next four weeks, and I'm personally excited about that, just to have more of the Lake Forest congregation together in this room. As you've already heard throughout the course of the morning, we're talking about these That's Life moments. I hope you've enjoyed that little bit of sharing that we had in the service just now. One that comes to mind for me uh, inevitability of life is that uh, whenever you get anything new, inevitably, sooner or later, it's going to get wrecked. You know, you buy something new, it's perfect, and, and, and you, you sort of protect it, and, and it's going to get wrecked. So uh, about a year ago, we did a lot of work on our home, did a big remodel, and I'm really neurotic. I mean, OCD about, you know, getting on my kids, don't wreck the new floors, don't wreck the new walls, don't wreck the windows. And sure enough, you know, not long after it was done, I'm carrying a piece of furniture up the stairs, and I turn the corner, put a nice big scratch right in the brand new front door, and I see it every time I walk by now. Inevitably, you get something new that you want to keep nice, it's going to get wrecked. There are all kinds of inevitabilities in life. But what we're going to focus on for these next four weeks are the big ones, the the big inevitabilities of life that are true for all of us. And we're going to look at the perspective change that life with God can make. There are a lot of things in life where just in defeat we go, oh, that's life. But with God, there can be a perspective shift that in that very same thing, we might see things totally differently and say, now that's life. So we're going to take a look at four of these areas over the next four weeks, and we're going to look at it through the lens of the book of Romans, chapters 5 through 8. So this is sort of the center section in the middle of the book of Romans, and, and Bible scholars for centuries have loved this section of Romans because it so clearly contrasts the life and hope that we find in God with the sin and death that we see in the world all around us. So we're going to focus on these chapters and we're going to see how you and I can see life through a different lens in these areas that are just inevitable. And if we're going to talk about the inevitabilities of life, we can't escape talking about death. Benjamin Franklin is given credit for having said it first. He said, in this world, there's nothing certain but death and taxes. Now, I'm going to leave it to Mike Woodruff when he gets back from vacation to talk about taxes But we're going to take a stab at talking about death this morning. So can I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 5? If you're not a Bible carrier, uh, there's a lot of Bibles uh, around you in the sanctuaries. uh, Or you can just turn it on, on your phone, on your device. You know, we never have to be far from a Bible these days. Really easy. Romans chapter 5. I'm going to be reading from the New International Version. And you, so you can, if you have a choice of versions on your, on your device, you can choose that. We're going to spend some time looking at some of the language that we see in Romans chapter 5 to help us with this perspective shift. We're going to end this morning by looking at the opening verses of Romans 5, but we're going to spend most of our time looking at verses 12 through 19. And so we're going to start in verse 12, and, and we're going to ask this question, how did death come to be a part of life? If one of the great certainties of life is the fact that everyone dies, how did that come to be? How did death become a part of life? The scriptures give us an answer. And we see it. We're going to read verse 12 is the beginning of this section where Paul, the apostle, begins to unfold some thoughts. So we're going to read verse 12. It says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, 
And in this way, death came to all men because all sinned. Now, his thought continues, but I'm going to stop there and focus on a few things that emerge just in those words that we just read. And I'm going to build on an idea that Mike actually talked about last week, and it's that sin affects the world and it affects all of us. And he pointed out, and I want to reemphasize, that sin is not a popular idea in our culture. Maybe it's not popular with you. We're, we're real comfortable talking about mistakes. We're willing to say things don't go right. We're even willing to admit that we've made wrong choices and done things that we weren't supposed to do from time to time. But when it comes to admitting that you and I and everyone born is a sinner who has offended a holy God, now that causes a lot of people to step back and go, now I don't know if I want to go that far. But I want to say to you that's exactly what we find in the Bible. That it's more than just mistakes. It's more than just things that go wrong. There is a problem called sin, and that's the reason that death has become a part of life. So this passage begins with this foundational idea. It said, sin entered the world. There was a time in history where sin became a part of our reality. And of course, it points back to the opening chapters of Scripture And right after God had created all things and put his first uh, human beings, Adam and Eve, in the paradise that he had created, in Genesis chapter 3, we find the story of sin entering into the world through Adam and Eve disobeying God and turning away from his ways. Now, God had warned Adam and Eve. He had told them, I give you everything, this beautiful creation that produces life in abundance all around you. I've given you the gift of never-ending life. It's the greatest gift that ever could be given. But if you choose to disobey me and go your own way, then on that day, you will die. And this wasn't just a vindictive threat of a jealous God saying, if you touch that fruit on that tree, I'm going to kill you. Nothing like that at all. It was a recognition that life is found in a relationship with God. And if they chose to walk away from that relationship, then they're walking away from life. And that's how death came into the world. And because Adam and Eve began to experience death, then it was passed on to everyone after them. So on that day, they died spiritually. They were separated from God. And even though they lived for many more years on the earth, they were destined when they perished from this earth to move into an eternity separated from God. Eternal death, which is separation from God. And so everything since then moves toward death. And we see it all around us. Every one of us, along with every living organism on the planet, has a lifespan. I'm too young to make jokes about aging, but even at 40, I'm painfully aware that the trajectory of my body and mind and everything else is not going up any longer. Everything is harder. And it's not just physical, living things that have a lifespan. Even non-living things have a lifespan. So structures and cities and civilizations that at one time were spectacular become ancient ruins. New homes become old homes. I drive a 12-year-old Chrysler minivan. It's not awesome. It's got signs of death on the outside, on the inside, under the hood, signs of death all over because everything moves toward death. And it's not just physical things that die. Relationships die. So we're playing with this idea of that's life, putting a hashtag in front of it because a lot of social media tags say hashtag 
that's life. If you go onto Twitter, the majority of hashtag that's life comments you see will be about relationships that are broken and have left somebody disappointed or heartbroken. And they say, hashtag, that's life. Relationships die. Fame dies. Influence dies. Dreams die. I think every one of us at some time in our life had a dream that we would do this or that thing or that our life would go a certain way, and it didn't go that way. That dream died, and we moved on to something else. Everything in life moves toward death because sin entered the world. But there's another thing I want to point out in Romans chapter 12. It says that sin entered the world, chapter 5, verse 12, excuse me, through one man and death through sin. And in this way, death came to all men because all sinned. Sin came to you and me through Adam. Now that raises a problematic question, at least for me, and I think maybe for many of you. Why is it that because Adam and Eve disobeyed God, did what he told them not to do, now we all face this problem of entering the world as a sinner under that same separation from God, that same curse of death that was really their fault. How is that just? So to help us get our mind around that, we need to think about these categories that we find throughout the Scripture of a corporate identity. All of Scripture is built on this foundational idea that every person on the planet that's ever been born falls into one of two corporate identities. And what I mean by that is they are represented by one head, one man, the Scripture says, whose defining moment rolls down to all who are associated with him. There are two of these men And the first is Adam. And lest we think that this idea of corporate identity or bearing the curse of someone else's action is only a biblical idea or or an ancient idea, we actually live with this all the time in our culture today. So if you're a Bears fan, what do you say happened in 1985? We won the Super Bowl. If you're a United States citizen, what do you say happened in 1776? We fought for our freedom. If you hold stock in Amazon, you might say, when we first went public back in 1997, our shares were only worth $18. Today, they're worth $960 a share. We've done a pretty good job, right? The the benefits, the rewards of the defining moment of an organization rolls down to everyone who is associated with it. And when we see those rewards, we gladly identify ourselves with that corporate identity. And it goes both ways. It's not just the rewards of positive defining moments, but it's the curse of those negative ones as well. And that's what we find with Adam. The curse shows up for every one of us because we have been born associated with Adam. We've been born in this corporate identity that's defined by Adam's defining moment. And then just by birth, you and I and everyone who's been born is associated with it. We are then sinners in the way that he was, and we bear that same curse of death. But it doesn't stop there. Not only do we 
take on this curse of death because we're associated with Adam. It goes on to say that we've actually conformed to his pattern just like he disobeyed. Every one of us does the same thing. And in fact, there was a law given that these verses are about to introduce, this idea that at one point in history God gave his law. We see it in the Old Testament. It's the standard of perfection that he holds up to have a relationship with him. And ever since his law was given, we know specifically how to conform to God's pattern of perfection, and yet we don't do it. So we see in verses 13 this idea, before the law was given, sin was already in the world. But sin is not taken into account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who was a pattern of the one to come. Now that's some thick, heavy stuff in those two verses, if you read it and you approach it in the way that I do. But what's being talked about here is the law came through Moses. It's this standard of perfection. Before that, Everyone was still under the curse of death because of Adam's sin, but all the more after the law came, not only generally are we associated with Adam, but now we've become active lawbreakers ourselves. And it's an easy test for any one of us to apply to ourselves. Has there ever been a time in your life when you've known to do this thing, but you've chosen to do that thing? You know this thing is the right thing to do, but willfully, knowingly, you went ahead and did this thing. And when we're honest, we know that's not just one or two times in our lives, but there are plenty of times we have broken the law that we understand to be upon us. Even if we don't know the law of Moses or the Old Testament law, we have this sense in us. We are active lawbreakers ourselves because we're conforming to that same pattern that Adam started. Sin caused death to become a part of life. So what do we do about that? What do we do about death? How are we supposed to deal with death? We all feel it. How do we deal with it? Well, we deal with death in all kinds of ways. Some people deal with death by making the most of life. They say, let's eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. There are slogans that you put on t-shirts for this kind of person. It's only the good die young. So if you want to cheat death, be bad and live long. Go big or go home. Life is short. Eat chocolate. We can live for the moment and, and try to in some way deal with the inevitability of death. Others try to avoid it or put it off as long as possible and and avoid any signs that death is coming. So you know what you do. You go buy the anti-aging cream. You rub essential oils all over you. You wear a Fitbit and count your steps. You eat kale and legumes. You drink kombucha and bone broth. You, you do all these things that you can to put off death and any sign of it for as long as you possibly can. We deal with death by trying to avoid it. Other times we deal with death by just trying not to think about it. So here's an interesting thing. If you go on Instagram search hashtag that's life, you see something totally different than what you find on Twitter. On Twitter, you have most common references to broken relationships. On Instagram, what you find most often is people's feet propped up overlooking a beach or overlooking a lake, overlooking a mountain range. Hashtag that's life. Put me in that crowd. Whenever I have a moment to escape and get away, that's what I want to do. And in fact, I'm going I'm to let you in on a secret. This is just between us. Don't tell my kids. 
So starting today, my two oldest kids are going off to Lake Ann Camp with the youth group. My next two kids in line are going to go to a sleepover with a friend's house. I've only got one kid left in the house. He's two years old. And if we can pawn him off on somebody for a couple of days, then you're going to see Instagram, hashtag that's life, Dina's feet and my feet propped up overlooking anything that we can find because we can escape, right? We can get away from the pressures and stresses of parenting. If you're counting, yes, that's five. And that's the idea, right? When when we want to get away, we want to escape. And we say, oh, that's life because when I get away, I I can put aside the pressures of life. I can put aside the stresses of work. I can just get away, put those things out of my mind. Ah, that's life. And I think for many of us, that's how we treat the inevitability of death. Just don't make me think about it. Death is painful. The death of loved ones is painful. And so sometimes we just want to put it out of our minds. Still others deal with death by thinking about it too much. Maybe you're constantly living in fear or way overprotective of yourself or your loved ones. Or maybe you're trying to make friends with death by getting involved in witchcraft or some other practice that that that's how you're dealing with death, by trying to get close to it so that you're not intimidated by it. There are so many ways that we deal with death and however we experience it, however we deal with death, we know it's coming for us one day and we instinctively search for a reason for hope that somehow we can overcome it. We instinctively look for a reason for hope that we can somehow overcome the inevitability of death. And so the main thing I want us to see today is that there is a better reason for hope that you and I can overcome death. There's a better reason than trying to just live for the moment. There's a better reason than trying to avoid death or put it out of your mind or fixate on death. And the better reason for hope comes in the next few verses here in Romans chapter 5. So we've seen the bad news. The bad news is that death became a part of life because of sin. And this curse of death has caused everything to move in that direction. But we're about to hear about a gift. And it's the gift of life. And we're going to see in the next few verses how the gift of life in every way is more powerful and can conquer the curse of death. So we're going to begin in verse 15 and we're going to move forward. And this gift of life, as we'll see, comes through another man. Verse 15 begins, but the gift is not like the trespass. It's another word for sin. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, Adam... How much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Again, the gift of God is not like the result of the one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation. But the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? So just as there was a time in history when sin entered the world and brought the curse of death with it, we're told there was another moment in history where life was reintroduced into the world. 
It was first introduced in creation when the gift of life was given to Adam and Eve and all of creation. It fell through the curse, but life was reborn into the world through the other man, through the other head, whose defining moment will roll down to everyone who is associated with him, and that is Jesus Christ. And in these verses, the Apostle Paul, the writer of Romans, wants us to see just how much more powerful, just how much greater the gift of life is than the curse of death. So when we look in verse 15, we see that while the gift of life follows the pattern of the curse of death, that is, the righteousness of Jesus rolls down to all who are associated with him in the same way that the curse of death rolls down to all who are associated with Adam, it follows that same pattern, but it's different. How is it different? It's different because Christ's gift is a more powerful overflow than Adam's. Christ's gift is simply stronger. How is it stronger? We look in verse 15. It's stronger because the gift of the curse of death or the, the curse of death came after one sin. One disobedience, one turning away from God, then rolled down and brought the curse of death to everyone. But the gift of life came in response to countless acts of disobedience and yet was powerful enough to reverse it. It's like the tide had already grown and and moved to a tidal wave and yet the gift of life was able to push back that tidal wave of death because of its incredible power. Verse 17, these differences are rooted in the foundational difference between the reign of death and the reign of life. Simply put, the reign of life is superlative in every way to the reign of death. And so for us, that means as much as we feel the curse of death, as much as we instinctively look for a reason for hope to overcome it because it's so real for us, when we taste the gift of life, it's all the more powerful. It's all the more consuming and gives us true reason for hope for then overcoming the curse of death. Verses 18 really sums up, verses 18 and 19 sum up the the difference here and boil it down to what it's all about for you and for me. So verses 18 18 and 19 really wrap up Paul's thought in this little section and he says, consequently, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation or death for all men, So also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. At the end of the matter, it's a question of disobedience or obedience to God's perfect will that allows someone to be in relationship with him that brings life. Adam's disobedience rolled down to all who are associated with him and brought death. Christ's obedience, Christ's righteousness rolls down to all who are associated with him and brings life. So how does this work practically for you and for me? You might go, man, those are, those are big ideas. Whew, I believe that, but like, what does that mean for me in my life? How do I apply that? How do I wrestle with that? How do I think about that in practical terms? And this is my take on it. My take is that every one of us, along with everybody else on the planet who's ever lived, does good things and bad things. We all do righteous things 
and sinful things. We're, we're, we're a combination of those things in our life. And, and the things that we're most characterized by form the way that people judge us or perceive us. So someone in your life, generally good person, most of the time they do good things, they're not perfect, but you look at that person and you go, yeah, that's, that's a good person. You might think of somebody else in your life that, boy, they're just always sideways and, and just got an attitude that rubs me wrong and they do things that I just go, man, you shouldn't, you shouldn't be doing that. You know, my mom would say, don't hang out with you. You know, that's, that's kind of a bad person. This is what we do, right? We, we look at what we do and what others do and we make a judgment about who we are, what, what characterizes us. We do this for ourselves. We weigh our own good and bad actions and we weigh the good and bad actions of others and that's just the way life is right? We usually, typically get what we have earned in that respect. But sometimes we receive a judgment that we did not deserve. On the positive side, sometimes that's a gift. Something goes our way and and we benefit from that that we didn't have anything to do with, but we, we receive it gladly. Other times we receive a judgment on us that we don't deserve, and it's kind of a curse that, that man, I, I didn't really deserve that, but we feel that that comes our way. Fundamentally, God deals with you and me not on the level of adding up the good or bad things that we do. It's not like it is on a horizontal plane when we're looking at one another and we say, man, uh, that's a good person or that's a bad person. God looks at us primarily through are we associated with Adam or are we associated with with Jesus. And this rolls down to us. It's like when we're in Adam, no matter how many good things we do, it always gets sideways. It's always this pull, this bent toward sin and brokenness, separation from God. It's like I have a new plant, and and no matter how much I water it and, and fertilize it and care for this plant, it just keeps on dying. No matter how many good things I do, There's just something innate in that plant that's just not going to live. It's just going to die. That's the feeling of that curse of death. No matter how many good things we do, we can't overcome that curse. But the gift of life is entirely different. It's like throwing down some grass seed on the yard and the grass starts to grow up. And no matter how much the family or anybody else tramples that grass and we don't water it, we don't fertilize it, it just keeps on growing up. There's something strong in those seeds. That grass is going to live no matter what I do. That's the gift of life. Everything in our life, we're not defined by those bad things in our life, no matter what they are. They don't define us when we receive the gift of life. Let me give you another way to think about this. Uh, there's a fairly well-known pastor and author named Thabiti Anyabwile, and he's done some great work on the idea of race and ethnicity. And he makes the case that race should better be understood as a theological category rather than an ethnic category. And so he says, you look around the world, there are many ethnicities, people of different ethnic and national backgrounds, but really only two races. And this follows with biblical thinking that there is the race of Adam and the race of Christ. Now, while we can't do anything about our ethnicity, who you are is who you are. Where you're from is where you're from. Your family of origin is your family of origin. You can't do anything about your ethnicity. But the good news is we can do something about our race. If you recognize that you are in that race of Adam, 
You recognize the curse of death in your own life. You recognize the sin in your own life that has brought that curse on you. There's something you can do about that. There's reason for hope for overcoming the curse of death. And it boils down to one one syllable word that defines everything. Faith. Faith. When we believe what's true about us, We've been separated from God because of sin. We've received the curse of death. But then we also believe that Jesus Christ came in real time in history, died on a cross to take that curse of death that you and I deserve. He did that so that we might become a part of the race of Christ, so that his defining righteousness might roll down to you and me no matter what we've done. That is reason for hope. And then that can push back that curse of death and turn everything in our lives toward life. Now, I want to be clear. That doesn't mean we won't die. Even those of us who have received the gift of life in this life will one day pass away. But the gift of life changes everything about that passage. When I opened, I said in this series, I want to give us all an opportunity to change our perspective on the big inevitabilities of life. And you and I can have a vast change of perspective when it comes to death. I'm going to spend the next few minutes thinking through that, and I want to do that in a a different way. Several years ago, I had the opportunity to sing a song at the funeral of a close friend. And this friend, he was a special guy. Everybody around him just knew... um, the joy that he felt. He was just a happy guy. Hospitality uh, just did some things that just were, he was just a unique, special individual. He died way too early by anybody on earth's estimation. And he chose a song that he wanted to be sung at his funeral because it articulates so perfectly the perspective that you and I can have on death, the perspective that he had on death. And that it's not the end, but it's only the beginning. I'm going to sing this song, and we're going to wrap up this portion of the service, and then you're going to be invited to respond together to the truth that for those of us who have received the gift of life, it is not death to die. It is not death to die. To leave this weary road And join the saints who dwell on high Who found their home with God It is not death to close The eyes long dimmed by tears And wake in joy before your throne Delivered from our fears, oh Jesus, conquering the grave, your precious blood has power to save those who trust in. die 
is not death to flee aside this earthly dust and rise with strong and noble wing to live among the just it is not death to heal the key unlock the door that sets us free from mortal years to praise you evermore oh jesus conquering the grave your precious blood has power to save those who trust in you will in your mercy with us as we respond to this message. In Christ alone my hope is found He is my light, my strength my song this cornerstone this solid ground firm through the fiercest drought in storm what heights of love The fullness of God in helpless babe From smile to smile to final breath Jesus commands my destiny Lord, I call this name of man Never pluck me from his hand Till he returns going to get this. Oh, here they are. Perfect. So I was going to do this anyway and come back in between a couple of the verses and give us a few things to take with us to give us an opportunity to lean into this hope. And can we just back up and start that song from the beginning so we can own it and really grab it? Okay, good. Before we do that, though, I want to bring us back to the beginning of Romans 5 and see the hope 
that is there for those who have placed their faith in Jesus. It says this, if you have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only this, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. I want to give us three things from these verses to take with us. And the first is this. If you've put your faith in Jesus, it says God pours out his love into your heart. It says you can experience a peace with him that is supernatural. And so I would encourage you, lean into that love, lean into that peace, listen for it. Make space to pay attention to it and to receive it from God in your life in real time and space. The second thing I want to say is don't let your sufferings diminish your hope. Sometimes when we bring suffering, we think, oh man, God must not love me. But in fact, it's just the opposite. Suffering is used to produce perseverance and character in our lives, which in the end of the day makes our hope all that much stronger. And the third thing I want to say is don't let your sinfulness keep you from God. Come to God as you are, not as you wish you were, not as you hope one day to be. You know, sometimes we think we've got to clean up before we come to God and receive his gift of life. Sometimes we feel like because we've been so sinful, we're going to need to keep God at arm's distance. But the invitation could not be more different than that. Come to God as you are. Don't let your guilt or your fear hold you back. Come back and have this perspective that at the end of life, death is not the end, but rather it's only the beginning of an eternity with God enjoyment of all that he has created and poured out for you and it's never ending life with him and that's life life